Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. Connect Church, how's everybody doing today? Pretty good. 77 degrees it will be today. Uh, Fat people like me love that. Hey, I'm so glad you are here. So grateful that you are with us today. In fact, I know we're celebrating a 40th wedding anniversary as well on this day. Where are the pictures at? Are you guys? There they are. From Missouri, pastor and his wife, 40 years of marriage. Incredible. Congratulations. Thank you all for being here. Thank you for visiting today. And like always, whether you're here physically with us or you're watching digitally, we are so grateful that you are here. Now, I need some help this morning as we kick off our message, and I just need to know my church a little bit better. So here's what I need. By a show of hands, how many of you are morning people? Would you just raise your hand? Just keep them raised for a minute. What's wrong with you? No, you put them back down. Now, on the opposite, by show of hands, how many of you guys are grumpy and angry and mean in the morning. Would you raise your hand? That's me. Let, let me see you there. Yeah. So all you morning people just need to pray for the weirdos near you, right? Like me. Uh, how many of you guys, if not for coffee in the morning, would spend, let's say, the rest of your day killing woodland creatures? How many of you guys need your coffee in the morning? I, I see that. That's good. That's going to help us today as we frame up our message for me to know you just a little bit better. Here's what we framed up last week. You ready? We framed up hard work, which is to the glory of God and to our good. That God designed us. God created us to work hard. This week, the truth we frame up is that God also designed us. That God also created us to rest hard as well. Today's message will remind us of this, that there is rest for the restless soul today. There is rest to be found for the restless heart and the restless life. I can imagine today, whether it's behind this pulpit or at the back of the room or to those of you guys who are watching from the sofa in your home, that I am preaching to a people, many of which have restless hearts and souls and lives. Many who are in desperate need of rest. But I've got good news for you if that's you today. I I know where you can find the rest for which your soul and heart truly long. And so as we begin to frame up this message today, I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 2. And there in verse 2, we are going to find and look back to the time where we find the first rest, when God rested. So in Genesis chapter 2, verse 2, the Bible says this, that by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. And so on the seventh day, he rested, he Sabbath from all of his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now, now here's a question I have coming from this text. Oftentimes when I prepare my message, I like to think of questions that are kind of outside the box. Why did God need to rest? How can an all-powerful, an omnipotent God, how can he tire? Was God just wore out after 
all the creation? Was he, was he just simply tired? And the answer to that is no. We're reminded of passages like Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28, where Isaiah writes, do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. And so we understand this about God, that God doesn't need rest. He does not grow tired. He does not grow weary. God's not afraid of hard work. Let me remind you of a text that I mentioned last week out of John chapter 5, verse 17. Jesus said, my father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. And so the question becomes, why did God rest? Why did he take time to do so? I love this illustration from the music world. You know, there are rest in music. There's whole rest, and there's half rest, and there's quarter rest, and so on and so forth. And what happens when we find a rest in music is that it really can serve to be a powerful moment in a piece of music or a, or a song. I'm going to do this. Zach, is your guitar available? Let me see here. I'm just going to show you musically what a rest might sound like. Now listen, I barely know how to play Mary Had a Little Lamb, and so no judgment here. But when I was around 18 years old, I picked up a guitar because I loved worship and I loved singing to the Lord. In fact, Zach and Aaron, and some of them used to be in, in my band. And I'll never forget that as I began to learn music, I love the power of a rest. Hear the rest there? What's amazing about a rest is that it really emphasizes where you've been musically. It also celebrates and anticipates where you're going. And that's the beauty of a rest in music, is that it allows a person for a moment to stop all the noise, all the ringing out of notes, and it's a moment of silence in the peace of music or in the middle of a song that allows such emphasis, and it builds anticipation for where the music is going. And I can imagine this morning that after the masterpiece of God's creation, he rests in order to emphasize the wonder and the beauty of his creation. His creation rests. And for the reader of the scriptures, the anticipation builds for us as we wonder, what is this creator God, this grand composer, what is he up to next with his creation? I was reading a musical theory blog because I'm a nerd. And here's what it said. I love what the author said. He said, rest in music allows the ability to add depth and additional emotions to the music. It reminds me a lot of what rest spiritually accomplishes. For here's what it does. It allows us more depth in our relationship with the Lord. And it adds passion to our work. It adds passion to our worship. And it adds passion to our, our well-being. God rested as both an example for his creation, but also 
to emphasize his power, his majesty, his creativity as our creator. You know, as you study Genesis chapter 2, you're going to come in contact with two Hebrew words. They're the two main Hebrew words for rest. The first main word is Sabbath. It's what we just read just a few moments ago in Genesis 2.2. And that word means this, to stop all work. To cock out, if you will. And that's exactly what God does on the seventh day. But just a few verses down in verse 15, there's another Hebrew word for rest. It's nuka in the Hebrew. And it's where God takes Adam after all the creation is over with. And the Bible says that God puts him in the Garden of Eden. And what that means is, is that word means that God settles him, that God rests Adam in the garden. And here's the kicker. You ready? With himself. With himself. So in this rest, God dwells with Adam. And what we find by these two Hebrew words is a powerful lesson on rest. That rest is not only found in the stopping of work, but it's also found in resting and settling down with God in his presence. Hey, you see, you know what I got to thinking? Maybe there's more to rest than just Netflix binges. Maybe, maybe just maybe there's more to rest than long naps. Maybe there's more to rest than just all day PJ day. Maybe there's something a little more to the rest that we long so much for. You see, in Genesis chapter 2, we find creation rest. But we also see in Scripture that God prescribes rest for his people. Because whereas we see in Genesis 2, creation rest, we see later on in Scripture a covenant rest prescribed by God for his people. And this is where we find it beginning here in the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. You can make note of this. Where God says this, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do, you shall not do any work. Why would God prescribe rest for his people? Because you know what? As we have seen the common theme of in our study, this study called Frame, sin ruins everything. Not only did sin interrupt God's rest in Scripture, but sin interrupted our ability to rest well. Sin has ruined our ability to rest. And so here we find God prescribing rest for his people. He establishes the Sabbath law. The Sabbath day just before sundown on Friday through just after sundown on Saturday. It's prescribed as law of God. A person cannot work on the Sabbath. Now imagine with me the why behind Sabbath. That God has created, that God has raised up this nation, his nation, a holy nation to bear his image and to bring forth his glory to the world. He has positioned them geographically in between many other nations of the world. And he does that on purpose. And as this nation of his, these Hebrews, later known as the Israelites, as they bore his image and worked to make 
God famous amongst the world. In the midst of all of this, God establishes the Sabbath, the day of rest. You know what's amazing? If you were to do a quick study of all the nations that surrounded the people of God, you are going to find at the hands of their leaders that people were worked to death, they were enslaved to do work, and they were abused by work. And here we have the people of God, surrounded not only by leaders who abused work, but by religions who did the same. Oftentimes in that day, Religions were depicted as lazy, selfish gods who demanded nothing but work from their faithful followers. Doesn't that set the scene well? For a God who comes, the one true God, showing the world that he is the God not only of provision and protection, but in a world that's working themselves to death, he says, I am the God of rest who gives to my people rest. It's a pretty powerful statement in showing a God's love for his people. And you hear that and you go, man, the Sabbath sounds pretty good, don't it? The Sabbath sounds pretty great. In fact, you know what we ought to do? We ought to have a Sabbath. In fact, that ought to be our Sunday. Our Sunday ought to be the new Sabbath right? No. No. Sunday is not the New Testament version of the Old Testament Sabbath, and I'm going to convince you that you don't want that. And here's why. Look at Exodus 31 verse 13. Jot this down. God speaks. You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all you shall keep my Sabbath, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I am the Lord and I sanctify you. You know what we're reminded of in passages like these? That Sabbath law was part of a special relationship. A covenant relationship between God and the Hebrews, between God and the Israelites, between God and the Jewish people. The Sabbath law was not created for the church. Nor should the letter of the law concerning the Sabbath be binding for Christ or his church. Consider what Paul writes and teaches the Colossians in Colossians chapter 2. Therefore, in verse 16, therefore let no one pass judgment on you. In questions of food or drink, he's talking about dietary law, or with regard to festival or new moon or a Sabbath, he writes. I love this in verse 17. Look at this. These are a shadow of things to come. That The Sabbath law, the Sabbath day was merely a shadow cast, but by who? By Jesus. The Sabbath pointed people to the ultimate rest that was provided by God through his son, Jesus Christ. In fact, one of my favorite titles for Jesus, he speaks of in Mark chapter 2, verse 27. And then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. You ready? Hey, believer, Our Sabbath is no longer found in a day, but in a person. Our Sabbath is no no longer a matter of law, 
but a gift of God's grace. Jesus is rest for the restless soul. Jesus is rest for the restless heart and the restless life. You might say, but I want Sabbath. As people, it's amazing to me how much we crave law. I want Sundays to be the new Sabbath day. Well, hear me. You're getting this all wrong. Sunday is not a new Sabbath. Saturday is the Sabbath. We, we already begin this one day off, right? Like we're already missing this by a 24-hour period. And I want you to hear me. Don't get me wrong. Sundays are important. If we dive into the New Testament, Revelation chapter 1, Acts chapter 20, we recognize that Sundays are the Lord's day. In 1 Corinthians 16, the early church gathered together on Sunday. It was on Sunday that our Savior rose up from the grave. Listen, Sundays are great days. Sundays are important days, but they're not a Sabbath day. They're not the new Sabbath day. But there's some of us that still want Sabbath. We want Sabbath law, and we want Sunday to be our new Sabbath. And let me just kind of win you over on why you don't want that. Because just your very presence here this morning means you have violated and broken the Sabbath law many times. It's amazing to me how people under grace, we crave law so much, but I want you to hear me. Your very presence here means that all of us have broken the Sabbath law. Let me kind of prove this to you. You know, the Jews had looked at God's command in his word about the Sabbath. And they found that there were 39 Hebrew letters in his command, or Hebrew words in his command. And so they created 39 laws by which you can break the Sabbath. But that wasn't enough. And so they went on and they created 39 divisions of work that were violations of the Sabbath. So by the end of the day, there are over 1,500 ways for you and I to break Sabbath law. On any given day, 1,500 ways that we could break the Sabbath law. Here's, here's one of my favorites. Exodus chapter 35, verse 3. The Bible says, You shall kindle no fire in all your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. And you're like, oh man, good. I didn't start a fire in the fireplace today. But you know, perhaps last night you turned on your heating unit at your home. A furnace was fired up. And your home was warm this morning when you woke up. Guess what? You violated the Sabbath law. Man, there's no way. If you turned on a light switch that fired up an incandescent bulb, you are guilty of violating the Sabbath law because you have kindled a fire in your dwelling place. If you got in your garage, opened up the door, and started the engine, and gasoline flowed through cylinders were ignited, and the combustion and the explosion pushed pistons, and here you are today at church. You are in violation of the Sabbath law. And for those of us who want the Sabbath, man, we're not doing too good today. We have felt miserable, miserably when it comes to the day of rest. And, and here's the kicker. You know that Numbers chapter 15, verse 35, prescribes the penalty for breaking just one Sabbath law? You know what that penalty is? Watching Hallmark movies. Now I'm kidding. You know what the penalty is? Death. Death. By turning on your furnace, you could be stoned to death for violating the Sabbath law. You ready, church? 
You don't want Sabbath law. You want the Lord of the Sabbath. Don't crave Sabbath law. When it comes in this conversation of rest, crave the Lord of the Sabbath, which is Christ and Christ alone. Remember this, believer. Rest is not found in a day. Rest is found in a person. We have seen creation's rest. Genesis 2, we have seen covenant rest with God's people in Exodus chapter 20. But what of the Christian's rest? What of the believer's rest? Hey, can I share with you something you know to be true? That even believers can have restless souls. In fact, I would say that most, if not many of us in this room, are sitting here today with restless souls, with restless hearts, with restless minds and lives about something that even believers are given to that. Various situations, circumstances of our lives, many in this room like I have, and I have wrestled with a restless soul. A soul in need of rest maybe from fear, anger, rest from anxiety or depression, rest from worry, or, or you're tired of being let down. You're just tired of being hurt or neglected or, or forgotten or uncared for. You're just tired of being tired. You know you need rest, but you can't seem to find it anywhere. I am preaching to many restless hearts. Now, I want to address this. There is a physical side of rest that has to come into the equation here. There is a physical side to rest. Our restless souls might be a little more restless because we don't sleep well. We don't rest well. Hear me. We must sleep. We must rest physically. You must discipline yourself to rest and to sleep. And hey, if you can't sleep well, partner with a doctor and find out ways that you can. Some of y'all, I got a fix for many of you guys. Some of y'all sleep so well during my sermon, all you need to do is download the podcast, play it right before you go to bed every night. You will sleep better than you have. And so that's what my father-in-law does every, isn't it, Eric, every night. That's, that's mean. Anyway, so here's the deal. You find yourself physically tired. Can I tell you one verse that I quote often at night when, when my sleep's just the worst? And I'll tell you when I sleep the worst, and my wife will testify to this. My worst night of sleep, bar none, and I'd heard of this going into pastoring this church Saturday nights. It's as if the enemy gives every nightmare, every terrible tragedy, every reason to wake up in the middle of the night. So almost every Sunday that I get here, it's been on a terrible night's rest. But there's a passage that I continue to quote out of Psalms chapter 4, verse 8. It says this, In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Hear me. I want you, church, we cannot, we cannot dismiss the physical reality and necessity of rest and sleep. But there's a spiritual side to this. I love what Charles Spurgeon said. He said, the bow cannot always be bent without fear of breaking. 
Rest is as needful to the mind as sleep is to the body. And he says this, rest time is not waste time. It is vital to garner strength and to gather fresh strength for the day. You know, if you and I are not careful, we will chalk up rest as a sign of weakness, whereas the Word of God positions rest as a sign of strength for the believer. You may think burning a candle at both ends makes you bright, but you're really not as bright as you think you are because you are absolutely wearing yourself out. I love this quote from Charles Spurgeon because it reminds us of this, that both rest physically and spiritually allows us more depth in our, our, depth in our relationship with the Lord and adds passion to our work, our worship, and our well-being. So where is rest to be found for the believer? God had the seventh day or the Sabbath. The people of God had the Sabbath law. Where is the rest for you, the believer, today? In no other place but our Savior. God had his seventh day. The people of God had their Sabbath law. Our rest is found in the Lord of the Sabbath. And our Savior Jesus Christ says, remember, rest for us is not found in a day. It's found in a person. And listen to the invitation of our Savior to the restless heart, to the restless soul, to the restless believer today. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, simply he says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Come to me, Jesus says, all you who are weary, heavy burden, all you restless hearts and souls, and I will give you rest. But here's the problem, church. We try to find every other avenue by which to find rest. And that is why we sit here today restless still. The invitation of Jesus is come to me. Hear me, rest is not found in a day, but in Jesus. Not in a law, but in his love. Not in a relationship, but in, or not in a religion, but in a relationship with him. I love how Charles Swindoll places it. He says this, in place of our exhaustion and spiritual fatigue, God will give us rest. All he asks is that we come to him, that we spend a while thinking about him meditating on him, talking to him, listening in silence, occupying ourselves with, with him, totally and thoroughly lost in the hiding place of his presence. It seems like what we framed up in Genesis, the two main Hebrew words for rest, are found and fulfilled in Jesus, in Jesus alone. For the believer, but the question we might have is, Anthony, how do we come to him and find rest? Pastor Robbie, a church in Long Hollow, I got to meet him this well, a little over a year ago, and I love how he finds rest in Jesus in each day. And really, it's an acrostic with the R. The R in rest stands for this. You ready to retreat? How do I find rest? How do I come to Jesus and find rest? You ready, church? You must retreat. 
That's what the R stands for, retreat. Get away. Take time with God in silence and solitude. What we saw Jesus do many times, like in Luke chapter 5, verse 16, where the Bible teaches us that Jesus would withdraw to desolate places and pray. You must find time to retreat. Here's the E in rest. You ready? You must find time to enjoy. Enjoy spending time with Jesus. The things that he has made, including the people he's blessed you with. Man, I'm going to tell you something. When I get my wife and all my kids together, it is a circus. It is chaos. But there is rest being with my family, who God has gifted me with. Enjoy time. That's what the E stands for. Enjoy time with what God has blessed you with. The S stands for stop. Stop your normal activity and remember that God is God and you are not. Man, it's so good for me. God is God and you are not. Put down the phone, the laptop, the tools with which you work all week. Break up with social media for the day and take a break, a rest from your work and normal activities. You know what it reminds us of, church? That you and I are human beings, not merely human doings. The S stands for stop. And here's where this T stands for. You ready? Talk. We must devote time conversing with God. Hey, but you ready? Don't speak the entire time. Let him speak to you as well. Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. Well, Ify, how do you rest? Uh, There's not a particular day of the week that I do so. I rest in Jesus most every day. I Sabbath in him. Every day. I find time. I carve out time for me to retreat. Do you know where my my desolate place is oftentimes? My office in a chair that I kneel out and I spend time with Jesus. At home, do you know where my, my place is? Right there at the side of my bed where I have devotionals lined up in God's Word. Every day, I find time to rest in Jesus and I retreat to spend time with Him. I, I enjoy Him. I enjoy his word. I enjoy my time with him. I stop everything. You know what I do when I get on my knees at my office, at that chair? You know what I do? I have a little pad right next to me. You know why? Because as soon as I start talking to him, other things begin to pop up in my mind. And so I just write them down. I'm like, Father, and thank you for this day. I'm like, oh, man, I got to call that person. So literally I stop for a moment, write that down, get away with it, and go back to my conversation. Now just stop. And then I take time to to talk with him and to listen to him. Guys, for me, rest is not found in an entire day or in Sabbath law. But every day, it is vital to me as a dad, as a husband, as a believer, as a pastor, every day to rest in Jesus. How much time are you carving out to rest in him? I rest in Jesus every day. Because here's what I realize. For me to work hard, I need to rest in him harder. And the same is true for you. I read this story and moved by the story of Horatio Spafford. 
who back in the turn of the century, the 20th century, the late 1800s, was a very successful businessman in Chicago. But as much as he loved Jesus, he was equally acquainted with great grief and tragedy in his life. In 1870, him and his wife Anna lost their four-year-old son, Horatio Jr., suddenly to scarlet fever. And for any of you who've lost a child, is there anything worse on the planet for a family to endure? A year later, Horatio was out of town and got word that in the city of Chicago where his business, his properties were set up, that the city of Chicago was on fire And by the end of that great fire, over 300 people lost their lives. Over 100,000 people were homeless. And many businessmen and women lost everything they had, including Horatio and his family. And yet after that great fire, he and his family served Jesus on the front lines of those hurting in the city. Well, just a couple years later, Life had been so hard on him and his wife and his four daughters that he decided, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send them away on vacation, and because I have a little business, I'll meet up with them in just a couple of days. And so he kissed his wife, Anna, goodbye. He had four daughters. He said goodbye to them, to 11-year-old Anna, to 9-year-old Margaret Lee, to 5-year-old Elizabeth, and 2-year-old They boarded a steamship and they headed across the Atlantic to England on a cold November night. An iron sailing vessel rammed the ship that his wife and his daughters were on. It took 12 minutes for that that, that, that ship to sink. All four of his precious daughters died. And by some miracle, his wife was found unconscious on a floating piece of wood. She was taken on to England, to Wales, and she was able to send a a telegram back to her husband in which it read this, Saved alone. He received the telegram and immediately left for England where he would join up with his wife and they would deal with the gravity of all of their children being gone. Talk about a restless soul. Well, as he was traveling, the captain of his ship, as they were traveling the Atlantic, had one of the ship hands to go get Horatio. He brought him up to the deck and said, Horatio, By my charts and the last recorded location of where this accident happened, I've stopped us right over the place where your four little girls had died. And so Horatio went out to the side, looked into the water, the watery grave of his little girls. And with a soul that was restless, He came to Jesus, weary, heavy burden, hurting. And on that ship, 
at the site, the watery grave of his daughters. He began to write the words to this beloved song. Listen to his words that he wrote. When peace like a amazes me that a daddy could stand there with a heart and a soul that had to be restless and yet find rest in Jesus. I don't know what has your heart and soul hurting. I don't, I don't know what has you restless this morning, but I know this, that Jesus' invitation to come to him, all who are weary and heavy laden or heavy burdened. His invitation for us today is to come to him and to rest. Believer, how well are you resting today? Better yet, how well will you rest tomorrow? How well will you rest when disease brings about tragedy? How well will you rest when fire consumes what you have? How well will you rest when the water and the sea billows take what you love the most? Here's the invitation of Jesus. That no matter how restless and how weary your soul, it can be well. You can be well if you come to Jesus and rest. And hear this next verse that he would pin. I love it because it's not only hope for the believer that there is rest in Christ, but for every unbeliever, for every person in this room or watching us online, the great rest, the great hope for your soul is none other than Jesus Christ. Listen to these words. Hey, church, let's sing this together, okay? The testimony of our faith. My sin, not in part, but oh, yes. Here's the hope for every man, woman, boy, and girl. to the cross and I bear it no more. 
pray together, would you? Just- Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.